With August being a banner month for Asian representation in Hollywood, this week on the Geek Explained podcast, we're going to be tackling our top five Asian characters in comics. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is kind of a special one for me. Uh, this is closing out our August, uh, <laughs> our August run, and uh, this has been kind of a big, uh, big month. Uh, my birthday was August twelfth, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, this month also uh, featured the uh, premiere of Crazy Rich Asians, a uh, big, huge, monumental achievement for uh, Asians in, uh, in Hollywood and film. And uh, being an Asian American is a huge, huge part of my life. So I thought it'd be really cool. Oh, and there's also um, on Netflix that just dropped uh, a movie called to all the boys I've loved before, and that features a, uh, a an Asian lead by the name of uh, Lana Condor, and so I thought it would be kind of cool to make uh, my one of my top five lists. You know, I love my top five lists on uh, the top five Asian slash Asian American characters in comics. Uh, this was a tough list to put together. Uh, you don't really think about how many Asian characters there are or aren't in comics until you try to put a list like this together. So I do have my top five, but I do also have uh, three honorable mentions. Uh, and I'll get this out of the way right now. Uh, this is my personal top five. Uh, if you disagree, if you have people who you would put on your top five, feel free to let me know. You can uh, let me know on Twitter, through email. I'll get to all of the uh, contact plugs later on. But uh, I figure let's go ahead and jump right in. So, uh, and again, as with all of my top fives, these are in no particular order, uh, though I'm sure at some, t at some point it will come across that they are in a specific order, but I want to assure you uh, I love all these characters equally, and I think they're all equally great. So, uh, except for my honorable mentions, which didn't make my top five list. So let's kick off the honorable mentions list. And that is going to start with Katana. So Katana is a DC Comics character. Her, uh, her real name is Tatsu Yamashiro. Her first appearance was in The Brave and the Bold, number 200 in 1983. So she's been around for a while. Uh, she's super popular character, especially in the last few years. Uh, she's one of the few, I guess, I wouldn't consider her like B level, so maybe like C level uh, characters to make it into other forms of media when it comes to uh, DC Comics. Uh, she's made appearances in Arrow, the show on the CW, which I really enjoy. Uh, she had a large role in uh, Beware the Batman, which was an animated uh, show featuring, I guess, kind of uh, CGI graphics. 
And she kind of took the uh, the role of Robin in that show. She was uh, part of the Bat family, which in that show just consists of Bruce and a gun-toning Alfred, which was a large departure from uh, classic, classic Batman lore. But uh, she featured really prominently, and I really liked her in that show. Uh, that show also features a really cool rendition of Deathstroke, so check that out. Uh, she also has appeared in DC Superhero Girls, their, uh, their new kind of uh, marketed towards younger girls, I guess, TV show slash comic book. And uh, she made a pretty notable appearance in uh, the Suicide Squad film. Uh, she didn't get a whole lot, I think, of uh, what you would call character development, but I think uh, she definitely made her presence felt in that film. And I thought overall she did really good. I'm sure she's going to show up in whatever sequel that gets. But she's been a really interesting character to me because she really, I think, uh, she's been around for a lot longer than people think. And she's been a part of a lot of different moments in uh, the DCU. Uh, she's been really popular recently in the Suicide Squad books, but she is most notable for being a member of the Outsiders, which is like a uh, kind of an offshoot team made by uh, Batman, which runs the range of being either like a uh, a Black Ops team to like a team that's like sent out for recon. But one way or another, throughout all the different incarnations of it, you can bet that you'll probably see katana on the team so i definitely think she's a great character uh, i do have some uh, further reading for her along with all the other characters that are going to be on this list so if you want to read about her uh definitely check out suicide squad most wanted katana that's probably the most recent uh katana focused book that uh dc has put out and i think it's overall it's a good read it's kind of inconsistent when it comes to pacing but uh for a character spotlight i thought it was really good uh also check out any and i mean any run of the outsiders uh <laughs> she definitely features in all of them uh, and also check out uh the most recent rebirth run of suicide squad where she also features prominently uh that team was kind of centered around making it similar to the suicide squad film so if you enjoyed that or any part of that because it's hard to enjoy the entire thing uh definitely check that out now second up on my honorable mentions is wong uh most people know wong as the uh basically kind of the alfred for uh dr strange uh he made his first appearance in strange tales number 110 way back in 1963 so he's been around for a really long time uh he's again gotten the most prominence in recent years as part of the dr strange film played by benedict wong along with uh infinity war where he had a nice little uh nice little couple moments in the early parts of the film but Wong is an interesting character, and I think it's due to the fact that you see him go through so many changes throughout the entire history of the Doctor Strange comic, because he's run the gamut from being, like, the doting, uh, essentially, butler for Doctor Strange to being a fully fleshed-out character who makes his own choices and makes his own mistakes, and I think... It's interesting when you get to a new writer on Doctor Strange to see what they do with Wong in, again, the very same way that 
for me at least, I get really interested in what uh, different writers end up doing with Alfred throughout all the different creative shifts when it comes to Batman. And I think Wong has always interested me because he can essentially do all the stuff that Doctor Strange does. Except he has a little bit more tact, a little bit more focus, and a little bit more um, patience, I guess. And uh, I've always really enjoyed seeing him approach situations. And though not many books focus on him, I think that there are some books that you should definitely check out. Uh, the Doctor Strange, The Oath is a wonderful book, just in general, but also as a Doctor Strange book and as a Wong book, because that that story really fleshes out, I think, uh, Wong's service to the Sorcerer Supreme and the Sanctum Sanctorum as a whole. So definitely check out that. Also, uh, check out the Doctor Strange run that was done by Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo. That is probably my favorite Doctor Strange run that I've read in comics, and I think if you are even mildly interested in Doctor Strange as a character, you owe it to yourself to check out uh, Aaron and Bacalo's run on this, because... The art is stellar, the storytelling is great, and I really enjoyed the way that they fleshed out not just Doctor Strange's universe, but also Wong as a character. Uh, I've also been focusing on him recently in uh, the most recent uh, Donny Cates and Gabriel Walta run before Mark Wade took over the book, specifically in the storyline Damnation, where Wong basically sets the stage and brings in this new team of the, uh, I guess, Marvel's most obscure dark magical characters to kind of rescue Doctor Strange after he tries to bring an entire city back from the dead. So that's an interesting, uh, interesting story for Wong as a character. Uh, the story is kind of hit and miss when it comes uh, issue to issue, but I really, I really enjoyed what it had to say for the friendship between Doctor Strange and Wong as a whole. So uh, my third and final pick on uh, our honorable mentions this week is Doctor Light, and it's not Arthur Light for those of you who uh, have read Identity Crisis, and for those of you who haven't. Uh, I envy you. <laughs> Not that it's a bad story, but it uh, it casts a lot of different characters in a light that I didn't really see before. So if your only exposure to Doctor Light is the uh, is the bumbling villain sort of from uh, the Teen Titans animated show, might be better to just leave it that way. But this is a different Dr. Light. This is Dr. Kimio Hoshi. Uh, she made her first appearance on Crisis on Infinite Earths number four way back in 1985. And she is essentially the good version of Dr. Light. She has most of the same powers of manipulation of light, um, being able to redirect certain lights to either uh, illuminate rooms or to use them as uh, concussive blasts and she is super cool she's one of the few uh i would say uh normal <laughs> normal people who is also a superhero she is also a a mother of i believe two and so she is one of those rare superheroes that have to uh balance 
having a home life with kids along with having a life as a superhero which makes her really interesting notably outside of comics uh, she's appeared in the justice league unlimited animated series and she also kind of made an appearance in the flash even though that appearance was an earth 2 version of linda park but still uh asian actress loved uh linda in the show and i wish that uh she actually had made more appearances since then but uh yeah if you if you like that character and you want to check her out uh she's actually really interesting and she's one of i think one of the greatest asian characters to grace dc comics uh you should check her out in uh her original appearance in crisis on infinite earths she is super important to that story and to uh how our heroes end up defeating uh the anti-monitor who's the big bad of that story uh definitely check out her run as kind of the leader of justice league of america that's justice league of america i believe volume two i think she starts um showing up in the team i want to say issue number 26 or 27 uh, and there's a long point where she is kind of the chairman of the Justice League, and she, I believe, goes through two separate rosters with her being on both, and uh, this iteration of the Justice League that she's part of actually uh, is the Justice League during the uh, War of the Superman arc, as well as the Blackest Night arc, so uh, she is longtime mainstay of dc comics and of the justice league she hasn't really made much of an appearance since the new 52 reboot but uh she's she's great and i think she's a really good uh addition to this list but enough of the honorable mentions we're gonna jump straight into my top five asian characters in comics all right so i just wanted to cut there for a second um you might have noticed that uh, the sound quality might be a little better uh, starting right around here. And I want to be completely transparent with you guys. I was dealing with uh, some weird uh, sinus blockage <laughs> uh, yesterday. That's why uh, this episode is going to be going up a day late. But um, I was trying to fight through it for the first part of this episode, but it was just... It was really getting, uh, really getting to me. So um, today, feeling much better. Uh, looking forward to finishing this episode, and um, I'm ready to jump into it. So without further ado, let's jump into the top five Asian characters in comic books. Uh, my number five is, I think, kind of a, a dark horse pick, pick out of the left field for some people. Uh, this is New Superman. Uh, his name is Keenan Kong and his first appearance was uh, New Superman number one back way way back in uh, September of 2016 I know it was a long time ago but um, uh, Keenan Kong Superman was created by Jean Lun Yang and Victor oh, I'm gonna say this really bad Bogdanovich uh, the reason I like Keenan Kong uh, his power set, the exact same power set as Superman, flight, invulnerability, uh, laser eyes, the whole deal. Um, the thing I like about Keenan Kong is that he's a great twist on the Superman character, not just because, oh hey, we're taking all of the tropes that you normally know about a character and switching up the ethnicity. It's that he's he, he's what uh, Jin Lun Yang actually described as 
a back-to-basics version of Superman. Now, for those of you who don't know, when Superman was first created way back in 1938, he was kind of a dick. Um, he had no problems with killing people, tossing gangsters off the top of buildings. He had no problems laughing at people's misfortune or any of that stuff. He resembled a lot of the pulp heroes at the time. And this, uh, this iteration of the character, which is in uh, current continuity, he's not like in Elseworlds or anything like that. He exists in the same world as Clark Kent. Um, he starts off not in the same way that a lot of other uh, superheroes nowadays start off in that he was he was a school bully. Uh, Keenan Kong is a high schooler in uh, China, and he is just a total jerk. He's not a good person. He bullies people. In fact, the only reason that he uh, gets these powers in the first place because he is human um, was because he was shaking some kid down for his lunch money and happened upon the scene of a villain i believe robbing a bank and because he's a braggadocious bully he threw like a soda can at the guy which distracted him long enough for police to get involved and all that so everyone was like oh keenan kong you're the best you're a hero and um he totally wasn't and he was a total jerk he didn't know how to treat people and he was approached by dr omen who represented, I believe it's called the Chinese Ministry of Self-Reliance. And picture it kind of like an Argus or like a uh, like a Star Labs, but like military, and which I guess is Argus. <laughs> um, they basically put him as in part of this uh, as part of this experiment where they bonded him to Kryptonian DNA, which gave him all the powers of Superman. And he joined the Justice League of China along with the Chinese Wonder Woman, Chinese Batman, Chinese Flash, the whole deal. And what I really like about him is that his whole deal is that he's not a good person. But now that he has these powers, he's learning that age-old trope of with great power comes great responsibility. And I just think that's such a cool... I mean, obviously it's a cool concept because it's been working with Spider-Man for, you know... 60 plus years but i really like this idea of giving that to superman and keenan kong and clark kent could not be further from each other character wise but i really i really think it's cool that they give him this opportunity to learn to be a better person and um one other interesting thing that i really like is that uh jilun yang uh really created this character to right or wrong because what most people don't know and i didn't know this until i was doing my research was that the first uh first issue of detective comics way 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 back uh featured a villain on the cover named ching lung and this is again back in the uh late 30s and this he was prime just you know narrow face scary looking features fu manchu mustache he was what is referred to commonly in a trope as a yellow peril villain which at the time was basically like oh he's asian or oh he's german he's a villain he wants to conquer the world and this character is really kind of the response to that the answer to that the fact that Yes, there are bad people, but there are also good people too in 
every race and every uh, ethnicity. So I really like this character, and if you if he sounds interesting to you, you can check him out. I would definitely pick up uh, in trade New Superman Volume One. Uh, the title is called Made in China. Again, it's a great book, a radical departure from the typical Superman tropes, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So for my number four, getting into a little bit more of a uh, a pulp kind of hero, is uh, Shang-Chi. So Shang-Chi, also known as the Master of Kung Fu, uh, made his first appearance in Special Marvel Edition number 15 back in December of 1973. He was created by Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin, and... I was doing the research on this, and I, I knew that Shang-Chi was on my list, because Shang-Chi is just a, a super cool character. He's he's the best martial artist in the world, bar none. And that's including Kunlun. That's including, you know, every other dimension. He is the best. No, uh, no argument. But what I really like is this background, because he has kind of a tumultuous background into the, uh, the creation of his character. And... It started way back in the early 70s because uh, Marvel really, uh, they really enjoyed this TV show that was on at the time called, just simply called Kung Fu. And it's your generic early 70s uh, Kung Fu, karate, uh, Asian appropriation kind of show. And Marvel wanted to get the rights to Kung Fu so that they could adapt it into a comic book. But Kung Fu was or at least the rights were, were owned by Warner Brothers, which even at that point had a working relationship with DC Comics. And so they denied Marvel the rights to uh, to Kung Fu. But as a workaround, uh, Marvel went to a uh, pulp writer who gladly gave up the rights to a villain that he had been working on named Dr. Fu Manchu. And... To work around because they wanted to create a hero. They wanted to create someone that they could market comic books for. And they took Dr. Fu Manchu and they created uh, Shang-Chi as the son of this evil, you know, take over the world uh, sorcerer slash scientist. And they, of course, because at that time he was popular, they modeled him after Bruce Lee. They gave him the gimmick of greatest martial artist in the world and they made his whole arc was that he real he finds out that his father is actually a villain hellbent on taking over the world so he rebels against him vows to defeat him and to uh basically thwart all of his evil schemes so i really enjoy him as a character because you can drop him in anywhere he's kind of like those old western characters you can drop him in see what happens and you're guaranteed to have a good time. So uh, he's running around with uh, the Heroes for Hire at certain points, along with the Avengers. He's run into um, Iron Fist on multiple occasions, as well as Daredevil. And it's really cool just seeing him be kind of like, I'm the master, you guys are good, but I'm way better. So if he sounds interesting to you, uh, further reading for him would be the Master of Kung Fu Master of Kung Fu, Master of Kung Fu Omnibus uh, by Steve Englehart. Though, if you want something a little more recent, definitely check out Battle World Masters of Kung Fu. Uh, it was a short-lived series during the whole Secret Wars arc, where uh, Battle World was constructed from pieces of every single 
Marvel continuity there ever was. And he had a short-lived miniseries that I thought was excellent and a real, really, really great callback to those early 70s kung fu style movies. So that's my number four. Now for number three, we're diving over to over back to the uh, DC Universe with Cassandra Cain. Uh, she is of mixed descent, and she is has, she's been known by a number of titles. She's been Batgirl, she's been Black Bat, she's been Orphan, she's been known as simply Cassandra Kane. And she was first created in, or she made her first appearance in Batman number 567. I know, that's a big number, right? Uh, <laughs> back in July of 1999. And uh, she was created by Kelly Puckett and Damien Scott. Now, Cassandra Kane, I really like as a character. She is the daughter of David Kane, one of the many assassins from the uh, League of Assassins, also known as the League of Shadows from time to time, and is also the daughter of Lady Shiva. Now, Lady Shiva in the DC Universe is known as... Some of my neighbors are very excited to hear about uh, Lady Shiva, I guess. Uh, um... Lady Shiva is known as the deadliest woman on the planet, also known as the deadliest fighter on the planet. She, in different continuities, either trained uh, Bruce Wayne during his pilgrimage to try to become Batman, or at other times has been an enemy to Bruce Wayne. But whatever continuity she's in, she is a deadly character, and Cassandra Cain definitely takes after both of her parents. Uh, Cassandra Cain is an expert martial artist, and one thing that I think is really interesting about her is that she's a mute. Uh, she was raised by David Kane, and David Kane raised her to be the ultimate killing machine, which meant that he didn't prioritize her learning how to speak. He thought that her first language should be combat, and so she communicates through fighting, through uh, body language, through all of that. And I think that's really interesting when you bring that to a character into the Bat family who is so... Even though Batman is kind of like the grunt kind of character, they all talk to each other so much that bringing in a character that they now have to communicate in a different way I think is really interesting. Um, another thing that I think is really cool about her is that she was, when she became Batgirl back in, I believe it wasn't too far after her uh, debut in 1999, um, she was the first Batgirl to have her, for, to have her own ongoing series. Uh, Batgirl Barbara Gordon never had an ongoing series up till that point. She had been mostly a supporting character in other people's books. And this was a huge deal because Cassandra Cain at that point was kind of an unproven character. And her becoming Batgirl and getting her own series I think was a great step forward for that character. Uh, she was also Batgirl for 10 years. I... I knew she'd been Batgirl for a while, but I didn't realize that it was for 10 years, and that's 10 years our time, so from 1999 until 2009 when the mantle was kind of taken up by Stephanie Brown, she was Batgirl throughout that whole thing. We're talking about during um, Hush, we're talking about during No Man's Land, we're talking about Infinite Crisis, we're talking about all of these things that happened. Um, she was there for it, she was Batgirl. So I think I think that's incredible. Uh, she is just a great character that I really think uh, deserves more 
of a uh, more of a spotlight and rumor is she is going to get that spotlight because the uh, upcoming birds of prey film and this is just rumor and speculation at this point but it's supposed to center around the birds of prey rescuing a young cassandra kane almost uh laura kinney x23 style in logan and her being just this dynamite like lethal little killer so i i'm looking forward to that if that's the case uh, for further reading for Cassandra Kane up until uh, she makes her debut in the film, uh, you can check out any of the first three volumes of her Batgirl run, though I really personally like Volume 2, To the Death, which uh, covers her big uh, battle with Lady Shiva, her mom. Uh, at the beginning of her run, Lady Shiva basically tells her, you have one year, and then I'm going to kill you. And Volume 2 of her Batgirl run brings in this you know a year's past we're heading for a showdown so i definitely definitely think you should pick that up also for a more recent uh i guess more recent read uh she was reintroduced during uh batman and robin eternal which was an ongoing weekly event back in the new 52 and they've kind of kept her since then uh in this continuity she was never batgirl she they meet her uh, basically still being raised and taught by David Kane. So they take her under her wing, and I would, though Batman and Robin Eternal is an okay read and it introduces the character, I would much rather, if you want to get a taste of this character, read the, uh, the James Tynan uh, Detective Comics Rebirth run. Uh, the first three volumes specifically I think are wonderful. They're excellent, and they really get to show Cassandra Kane learn how to be on a team, learn how to interact with others, and she develops this amazing friendship with Clayface, Basil Carlo, uh, kind of centered around their love for theater and Shakespeare. So I definitely think you should check that out because that's an amazing growth to her character, and reading her in that made me just appreciate her character more than I think I did before that. All right, and jumping into our number two spot is Amadeus Cho. Amadeus Cho is a, uh, a Korean-American teen. Uh, he's been known by a few different names, including, um, I believe this is called the Prince of Power. Uh, <laughs> he's also been known as uh, Hulk recently in recent years, and uh, just, I want to say, earlier this year became the character, or rebranded himself as Brawn. So we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, his first appearance was in Amazing Fantasy number 15 in uh, January of 2005. And he was created by Greg Pak and... Oh, you see, okay, so I'm going to just... I'm going to give you a window into the uh, into the Geeksplained uh, writing room. Sometimes when I'm doing my notes, I write down names and I don't sound them out in my head while I'm writing them. I just write them down. And so when I come to record them, I look at what I've written and I see that it's a name that, oh, I have never said that out loud before. So we're going to see how that goes. So <laughs> this is a peek into my mind, but um, we're going to try this. So he was created by Greg Pak and Takashi Miyazawa. And he is known as, he jumps here and there, but he is known as one of the top eight smartest characters on the Marvel Earth. And that's a big deal when you talk about characters like Reed Richards, like Doctor Doom, like Tony Stark. Like, all these characters that are super, super intelligent. And this kid, who I don't believe is even 
what, 16, 18, maybe. Uh, he's been in the top eight for a while. He Sometimes he jumps from a eight to seven. I believe at one point he was the 10th. But uh, it's pretty incredible. He's an incredibly intelligent character. Uh, at one point, he was appointed the Prince of Power by Athena. That's right, the Greek goddess Athena. Uh, during the uh, Incredible Hercules book. But his kind of his jump into, uh, I guess, the minds of mainstream star, uh, stardom was when he took over the Hulk book as the Totally Awesome Hulk. And that was when he used uh, nanites to take a, uh, a horribly irradiated uh, Bruce Banner Hulk. And he removed not just the radiation, but also the gamma radiation from the Hulk and basically infected him with it. Removing the Hulk from Bruce Banner sort of at the time. And uh, basically blessing and cursing himself with it. Uh, he retained his intelligence he can jump between his forms at any time though uh most recently he was kind of taken over by the dark aspects of his hulk personality and after he was able to finally fight them off and free himself uh it resulted in a physical transformation for him which kind of shrunk him but basically made him a taller more muscular version of himself and that was when he rebranded himself as brawn uh, and wearing, I should say, a very Beast Boy-looking costume. Uh, but he recently, also in recent years, founded the Champions, which I really loved uh, initially. I really enjoyed the first run of that book. So I would say definitely check that out. Uh, and he was also, uh, when he took over the Hulk book for the Totally Awesome Hulk, he became one of the first marvel series with an asian american character as the title character which i think again is a huge deal and it's a great step forward for diversity when it comes to our comics uh, a lot of people like to kind of rail against diversity and i just don't agree with that i think uh as the times change so too should our media and so too should our heroes so I really, I like getting these different perspectives. I like getting these different characters. So I would recommend if you find that interesting and you want to read more about him, uh, definitely check out the first volume of Totally Awesome Hulk titled Cho Time. Or you can also check out uh, the first volume of Champions called, or uh, titled Change the World. Both of those are excellent reads. I really enjoy them and I think you will too. But now, here we come. Here is the uh, the number one pick. Let me see if I can get a drum roll without it sounding like really bad. It's Jubilee. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jubilee, or also known as uh, Jubilation Lee is her full name, was uh, made her first appearance in Uncanny X-Men number 244 back in uh, May of 1989. She's created by Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri. And she is what I think of when you say you do a word association like Asian characters in comics. Jubilee's there immediately. Because she's, she's for me, she's always been there. Uh, I was a, uh, I was one of those early 90s kids that fell in love with comics through animated TV shows such as uh, the Superman TV show, the Super or the uh, the Batman animated TV show, the Spider-Man animated TV show, and you know the X-Men animated TV show. And 
my my love for that character and my love for that cartoon really i think is one of the reasons that i probably put her on this list but it's also because she's one of those characters that no matter what situation you kind of put her in she will always remain true to her character even if she's put in situations that would kind of go against her character and we'll get into that in just a second uh she joined the x-men in that banner early 90s period where the x-men were the pinnacle of marvel comics uh she's been a prominent member of multiple x teams most notably the uh, generation x line where she uh, she joined up with the leaders uh, banshee and emma frost along with one of my secret favorite characters chamber uh i really enjoy that book so definitely check that out but um, one thing that I don't think a lot of people know is that uh, for a long time, up until recently, she's been a vampire. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, so, during the uh, in the aftermath of the House of M storyline, where Scarlet Witch's fractured uh, psyche forced her to remake the entire world in Magneto's image. Uh, Scarlet Witch kind of went insane, and she whispered the famous line, No More Mutants, which decimated, and they call it decimation, uh, <laughs> I think it was something like 90% of, 90 or 92% of the world's mutants when it comes to their powers. Almost the entire mutant race was wiped out powers-wise. They were depowered and turned into regular humans again. And unfortunately, Jubilee fell into that 92%. She was depowered, she was forced to live a normal life again, which, for her, she's... hated. <laughs> That's her character. She loves being an X-Man, she loves being a mutant, she loves being part of that culture. So, um, there was a weird, like, arc where they decided that they wanted to... There's a plane, you could probably hear that. The joys of recording in an apartment and not a fancy dancy uh recording studio right <laughs> but uh marvel went through this weird thing or i guess the uh, the x-men editors went through this weird thing where they're like you know what would be really cool let's pit mutants against vampires so they had uh they had them fight vampires and at a certain point jubilee gets bit she gets turned to a vampire and she was a vampire for a little while she even had like a little vampire baby that she that they made really ambiguous at first whether it was hers or not so it was it was interesting but recently in the most recent uh generation x book she was forced out into the sunlight uh by a character and she was like most vampires do was dying because of the exposure to sunlight when wouldn't you know it quinn Quire, our lord and savior uh stepped in with his shard of the phoenix force and used it to not only cure her of her vampire of her vampirism but also repowered her so she's got her powers back her firecracker powers and she's just she's back you know she's she's back to normal she's back to uh being a prominent x character again uh it's really interesting to me because along with the animated show she's i think one of the many one of the many but one of the most prominent x-men characters who hasn't really had a uh fair shake when it comes to what i would say are the uh 
the cinematic adaptations. So, you know, all of the Fox X-Men films never really gave her a fair shake. So I think it's time that she gets a fair shake when it comes to live action. Uh, most recently, she was played by Lana Condor, who I will admit is one of the uh, main reasons, one of the uh, sparks for me that had me come up with this episode, because uh, Lana Condor is the star of the Netflix movie To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and I thought she was a perfect Jubilee in the small, itty-bitty, like, bite-sized piece of uh, screen time she got as Jubilee, because her scenes unfortunately ended up on the cutting room floor when it came to that film, uh, she was really good, and I really like... I really liked her in that aspect of that 80s. Like, she fits so perfectly. So, definitely check that out. Um, I have a couple uh, recommended readings. Uh, Wolverine and Jubilee, Curse of the Mutants, uh, deals with that whole vampire thing. It's not a great read. I'll put that out there right now. But one of the things that it gets right is the interplay and, and the interconnection between Jubilee and Wolverine. And that is one of my favorite relationships in comics it's not like a romantic thing even though some people like to force that idea it's you know it's a papa bear little cub type of deal like wolverine is almost her guardian and jubilee is almost his ward and they look out for each other and they care about each other and they you know they have a great little back and forth that I think really complements each other. Uh, I'd also check out Generation X Volume 1, both the original run back in the 90s, along with the most recent one that unfortunately ended with the uh, series getting cancelled. But also check out X-Men 92, because X-Men 92 was a book that was tailor-made for those of us who loved the original animated series. So definitely check that out. You might also see uh, a x-men 92 version of jubilee getting turned into a vampire i didn't say it was good but it's something <laughs> so uh those are my top five uh asian characters and comics i will say because i know that people are gonna ask um kamala khan is not on this list why is that uh i had a really tough time getting into my head whether i wanted to include Kamala Khan on this list because even though um, technically she is an Asian character coming from Middle Eastern descent, I didn't really know if I thought that she would be included on this and I know it's arbitrary but it's my rules, it's my countdown, but I want people, I don't want people to think that oh he left Kamala Khan off the list because she's an awful character because he doesn't like her. I love Kamala Khan. I think she's wonderful. And if there are other lists that I end up doing, like, you know, top five racially diverse characters or top five new characters created in the last ten years, like she you will definitely find her on that list. She's an amazing character. I even I got my girlfriend to start reading her comic because she enjoyed it a lot. I love Kamala Khan as a character. She's one of the most prominent features in uh, the Champions book that I was talking about with Amadeus Cho. Uh, I love her relationship with not just other characters her age, but also with characters above her age. Her run, her short-lived run in the Avengers was amazing. I love her dichotomy with uh, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, and I hope that she joins up with Carol Danvers at some point in the future of the MCU. So, um, 
that's my uh, that's my caveat out of the way. So those are my top five. I'm gonna list them off real quick just as a recap. So we had Keenan Kong, we had Shang Chi, we had Cassandra Kane, Amadeus Cho, and Jubilee. So those are my top five. Hope you enjoyed the list. If there was anyone that I missed, please let me know. I l- would love to hear your list if it lines up with mine, if it deviates wildly from mine if you think mine is crap let me know feel free uh you can get in contact with me on twitter you can give us a follow along with uh tweet at me at uh geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained p-o-d uh you can also send me emails because i'm an old man and i still read emails and you can send any of those emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but now that we have the main meat of the episode out of the way, uh, we're going to jump into This Week in Comics. So for This Week in Comics, I'm not going to lie to you, it's kind of a light week uh, for me specifically. Again, this is my uh, top five that you should be checking out, but I definitely think that all of these books are worth checking out this week. So we're gonna kick it off with one of my favorite books, Marvel 2-in-1, number nine. Uh, This book is uh, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Ramon Perez. And uh, Marvel 2-in-1 has just been an outstanding book all the way through. Chip Zdarsky really has a great handle for uh, the the voices for Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm. Uh, what I think is really interesting, what I'm looking forward to seeing what happens is uh, recently Fantastic Four number one came out by uh, Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli. And I really enjoyed the book. I am looking forward to issue two, but I really am wondering where uh, Marvel 2 and 1 goes to get to that point. Because up until this point in Marvel 2 and 1, both Johnny and Ben are stranded on an alternate Earth without their powers, and in Fantastic Four number one, spoiler alert, uh, they're back on Earth with their powers again. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, the solicitation for this reads as such. The Fantastic Four are back, but there's something quite off about them. Ben and Johnny, powerless and stranded, are in the fight of their lives as Next of Kin continues. So this book is really, really just dynamite has been from the first issue and i'm looking forward to uh getting to read i have my uh my stack of comics right here next to me and i'm gonna get into those uh as soon as i actually wrap up recording this so definitely check it out it's wonderful and uh yeah there's not much more to say on that one now next up we have scarlet number one uh Written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Alex Maleev. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is kind of uh, uh, Bendis's first step into really plugging his characters into, not necessarily into the DC universe, but also, you know, taking the next step in his creator, kind of creator owned uh, projects while under the DC banner. Now, uh, I have, it's no secret, I'm not a huge fan of him on uh, Superman so far, but he has always done really well with characters that he creates. Uh, See Miles Morales, uh, see Jessica Jones. I think that this is definitely one to pick up. I'm going to go ahead and read the, uh, the synopsis here for you. From the creative team that brought you Daredevil and Infinus, Infinus, ugh. 
I'm going to start over. <laughs> From the creative team that brought you Daredevil and infamous Iron Man comes the latest explosive chapter in their creator-owned epic, which IGN called one of the best comics on the stands. Scarlet tells the story of a woman whose life has been ripped away by police corruption. When she pushes back, she starts a chain reaction of events that will bring about the next American Revolution. In this brand new, new reader-friendly chapter, fully painted by Eisner award-winning artist Alex Maleev, Scarlet tells the story of what happens when one young woman is pushed too far and what one country will do to stop her. So I think it sounds interesting. It's an interesting premise. I am really interested to see, again, what uh, voice Bendis decides to give this character. I think he's got... He falls into a pit sometimes of his characters sounding very samey. But I'm excited to see where this goes, and I'll, I'm definitely looking forward to reading the issue. All right, and next up, I have Hunt for Wolverine Dead Ends number one. Uh, it's written by Charles... Charles... <laughs> it's written by Charles Sewell with art by Ramon Rosanas and Marco Chiquetto. Uh, this has been interesting. I can't tell you that I followed all of the Hunt for Wolverine books because that's just too many books, and I think that they really shot themselves in the foot by spreading this across so far. I get that Wolverine has been kind of their breadwinner for a while, but uh, four books is too many. Four separate books telling four separate stories is too many. So this is really kind of the convergence, the nexus for all of those books to build up into the return of Wolverine next month. So uh, I'll go ahead and read it out for you. The hunt is over. The hunt for Wolverine is over. Now the time has come to put the pieces together and see what was learned. Kitty Pride, Daredevil, Tony Stark, and Sabretooth may have found what they were looking for, but it wasn't what they expected. Where has Wolverine been? What has he been doing? And how does it lead into next month's Wolverine number one? Parental advisory. So, of course, parental advisory means that we're going to be getting some brutal stuff. Uh, from what I've heard from all four of the Hunt for Wolverine books, they vary wildly in quality. But uh, the narrative is really building up for Wolverine to come back as the, you know, top star that he should be so looking forward to this uh looking forward to just kind of moving on into wolverine being back because this whole build up for me has been a little blown up with all the uh all the crossovers that are going on in marvel today uh my number four let me get my notes here is red hood and the outlaws annual number two this is written by Scott Lobdell with art by Clayton Henry and Kenneth Rockefort. And Red Hood and the Outlaws is, I mean, I've I've really always loved the idea of Red Hood and the Outlaws, him having like a little team that goes through different rosters. And this brings back one of, I think, the best pairings that came out of the New 52, which is uh, Jason Todd and Roy Harper. They're so screwed up characters and they work so well together but i i really enjoy them. this is uh the most recent red hood and the outlaws book that's been out of uh, rebirth has featured a team of jason todd artemis and bizarro so we really haven't gotten a whole lot of what i thought was the magic in the new 52 book that had uh jason todd roy Har roy harper and uh starfire but 
this promises to reunite them and uh this is going to be the last stop before jason todd kind of goes solo on his own with a new uh, redesign which looks super cool so uh, i'll go ahead and read the synopsis here the boys are back red hood and arsenal together again sort of while Jason Todd is recovering after a brutal beatdown from the man who taught him everything he knows about brutal beatdowns, Roy Harper divides his time between being a nursemaid to his bestie and tracking down the source of tainted drugs that have killed thousands. It isn't long before the two find themselves in Beijing battling the sisters of Susie Sue, all this and the inexplicable fate of Artemis and Bizarro. So this is going to be a good kind of tying up loose ends before Jason strikes out on his own and goes back to kill him. And uh, from what I skimmed through initially, this also looks to be kind of our last stop for Roy before he goes to Sanctuary, and everything's kind of the entire DC Universe is building to Sanctuary and Heroes in Crisis, and I am here for it, because I'm super excited for that crossover, super excited for that story, and I'm really excited and worried about Roy. So uh, check this out if you want to check out Roy before he jumps into the uh, Heroes in Crisis crossover. So last, but certainly not least, is Web of Venom Venom number one. I know that sounds weird. But uh, this is written by Donnie Cates with art by Juanan Ramirez and Ryan Stegman. And this is a really cool concept. Uh, this is the basic idea behind this is uh, symbiotes in Vietnam. And I'm a sucker for war stories. I'm a sucker for war stories in my Marvel and DC comics. So um, we'll just jump into the synopsis because I think it really tells you what you need to know for this book. Uh, spinning out of the pages of Venom, as the United States of America struggled through the Vietnam War, Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. needed a secret weapon, and when an alien creature... Whoops, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start over. Uh, <clears throat> spinning out of the pages of Venom. As the United States of America struggled through the Vietnam War, Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. needed a secret weapon. And when an ancient creature was discovered at an archaeological dig site, he was sure he'd found it. In reality, the discovery was an ancestor of the Clintar symbiotes and would become a waking nightmare for a platoon of American soldiers. So this is like a really cool, it's, it's Venom in Vietnam. So I, I'm excited for it. Uh, it's at the top of my list right now. I'm looking at the cover. It looks really cool. It's like a a uh, symbiote hand holding this picture that was obviously taken in Vietnam. I'm really excited because, again, I love these war-torn stories. I'm interested to see what more fleshing out of the backstory that Donny Cates does for Venom because he's been doing a killer, absolutely killer job in the Venom books. So um, there's also another book called Venom First Host that's coming out, but I, I picked this over that. So uh, that is this week in comics. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the, this segment. I've been really enjoying putting it all together and sharing with you what I'm picking up. Uh, if there are any books I missed, please let me know. Uh, I know that I'm pretty heavy on the big two and not so much on the uh, on the more uh, independent comic uh, realm, but I have been picking up Kick-Ass because I love the uh, the direction that they're going with that character. And uh, yeah, again, shoot me your uh, 
your comments, your recommendations for comics. I'm always up to read new comics. So um, I think that'll do it for me. Uh, thank you for suffering through my uh, my obvious uh, <laughs> uh, stuffiness. I appreciate you hanging in there with me. I really wanted to get this this episode out because I think it's one of I think it's one of the cool things I get to do as an Asian American in uh, in this industry and being able to talk about these things. So um, that'll do it for me. We will see you next week for uh, the next installment of our Kingdom Hearts series. That's going to be an episode focused completely around Kingdom Hearts 2. So get ready for that. And for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>